1: Welcome to another edition of Children of Song, the podcast that explores what it must have been like growing up surrounded by music. For those of you who are taking this journey with us for the first time, we're speaking with musicians whose parents made a name for themselves in the music business. We'll find out what it was like growing up around that kind of fame, and hearing such great music all the time, what happened to them backstage, artists that they met when they were kids, and how they caught the music bug themselves. And ultimately, We'd like to know what inspired them to continue the family legacy and pursue their own musical journey. I'm Robert K. Orman, and I'm joined by my producer, Brad Newman. Hey, Brad. Hey. hey. Brad's here to keep the train on the tracks and make sure we do our P's and Q's. As we continue what we're calling our Nashville Sessions, we have the pleasure of spending some time today with a singer-songwriter that I'm crazy about. Her name is Georgette Jones, and she is definitely the daughter of country music royalty. Her father is Country Music Hall of Fame member, George Jones, and her mother is Country Music Hall of Fame member, Tammy Wynette. It is so great to be here.
2: Oh, thank you so much. And I love
1: your music. (laughs) And listen to both of your parents.
2: Oh, you have no idea how much that means to me because I certainly respect you. And um, I, I know I said to you earlier when you got here, and I want to just repeat that out loud for everyone else. Whether you know it or not, you helped me so much. A few years back, I did have an opportunity um, to have a demo deal with RCA. Although things didn't quite pan out at the time, still, I I would not have actually had that opportunity if not for a review that you did of a demo that I made. And they actually, because of you, gave me a chance for an audition in their office. So thank you so much. You're
1: very welcome. I did not know that story. Yes, absolutely. I'm tickled that that happened. (laughs) Good good for me.
0: (laughs) Yes, thank you.
1: Well let's start off with with, with your childhood, I and mean, since we are taught when since you are a child of song. Uh you were largely raised by Tammy. Your parents divorced when you were what, four? Four. Mm-hmm. Yes. And do you do you remember when they were together, or is that?
2: I have a few memories of them being together. I think I have more memories of seeing my dad after the divorce with them being together at shows or him coming to the house. I don't really have a lot of memories of being four or younger, but um, mm-hmm. I do uh, have some memories. One being um, my dad, and this is going to sound kind of silly, I suppose, but people, he's you know known for loving to ride his lawnmower for more than one reason. But he he really did take a lot of peace and solace in riding the lawnmower outside. He enjoyed it. It was mm-hmm. his peace and quiet. And so I would sit and ride on the lawnmower with him. He would put me in his lap and we would just ride around. He, I don't even think he was really cutting grass as much as he was just driving around outside and enjoying being outdoors. So He did um, love to cut
1: the grass. He though. really
2: did. Mm-hmm. He loved it. It was his kind of peace and quiet time and, and in his own mind then. So he could kind of get away from the rest of the world.
1: It does. It sounds funny to say that George Jones loved to cut grass. He did. I um, in
2: lawnmower. As much as buying cars he enjoyed, he enjoyed buying lawnmowers. So Sounds he like he wanted to
3: be a farmer. I mean, he, he would have loved plowing those roads.
2: Well, he certainly, he grew up doing a lot of farming. And, um, you know, my uh, Aunt Helen and her husband, my Uncle Dub, um, had a farm. And when he was only six years old, he spent quite a lot of time at their home rather than the home of my grandparents and helped them on their farm. So I think because of that, that may have been something he looked back to as He remembered that being a peaceful time, that he was kind of away from some of the chaos and some of the negativity. And that was his peace and quiet time.
1: A lot of children of divorce fantasize about their parents getting back together and making mommy and daddy again. And did that happen for you or did you accept it?
2: Oh no, it definitely did. I mean, I remember there were several times. um, In fact, pretty much any time, my mom and dad uh, got together to do a show or an award show, or and and I'd got to see them together. And I know that you especially. I know you've seen it. They even after their divorce, they had such chemistry Mm -hmm. on stage. And so even as a child, I mean, I could see that. You know, I I could Mm -hmm. see that they seemed to really enjoy being together. And of course, every time I saw them together and saw that, I would think, oh, well, you know, they look so happy together, and you know, maybe it'll be okay. And, you know, even when mom remarried and then eventually my dad remarried by the time I was 12. So I still kind of held on to that until then. And then I kind of, by the time I was a teenager, it, I guess, really sunk in that, yeah, this is it's not going to happen. Go. But
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> would, you, yeah.
3: would you needle your mother at all or tell him, wow, you know, dad look good tonight or anything like that to kind of maybe or even to, to try to make, you know, match make a little bit?
2: I'm sure that I did. I mean, I can't remember exactly specific things that I said, but I know that I did. I really, um, in fact, Um, I know at one point we spent a lot of time together, Mom and Dad and me, when I, I recorded a song with my dad when I was 10 called Daddy Come Home.
0: A year and a half May not seem like much time But it's almost forever When you're only nine
2: That song meant so much to me at the time. I remember just being so emotional about it and trying not to be. Um, Bobby Braddock wrote that Mm -hmm. song and um, and incredibly written very well. But I remember being in the studio and singing it. And um, the very last line, like even now when I hear it, it almost makes me cry because I remember, you know, when I sang those last words and I was like really begging him to come home. And um, so, yeah, I'm sure that I did some needling here and there during that time, especially because we spent a lot more time together, the three of us, rather than just quick visits. And
1: I know that she uh, had a lot of guilt over being a working mother. Um, did she try to include you in, in her traveling and in her shows and stuff?
2: She did, quite a lot. In fact, um, all summer um, we would go with mom. Um, anytime there was something special, there was a couple of occasions where mom went to Europe for a couple of weeks and she thought it would be great for us to, as a family to be able to travel and see things. And in fact, mom actually put her foot down, uh, went to a school um, when I was 12, we were going to Europe for two weeks and they were going to say that I, I couldn't do it, that I'd be kicked out, I'd have to come back the next year and repeat the grade. Mom pretty much went down there and said, you know what, this is a private school, and I'm paying for my daughter to go here, and I can teach her more about history in those two weeks than you can all year long, and I'm happy to keep her up with all of her school things, so if that's a problem, I'll just take her out now and put her in a different school, so um, they pretty much said, well, okay then. <laughs>
1: so." Well, it's true. We got Are to go. Going to Europe? Come on. Yes. So it is isn't
2: I remember having to write a report about it. I actually had to come back and pr- do a presentation about where I went in my travels, but I was happy to do so.
1: <laughs> During the Tammy Wynette show, there—I remember just so vividly—there was a song, time when she would kind of like dismiss the band and kind of sit alone on a stool, and she did this song called "To My Daughters."
2: Yeah, dear daughters. Yes. Dear daughters. That's yes. It.
1: And it would inv- inevitably reduce everybody in the place to tears. I
0: mean, yes. Dear daughters, Gwen, you're my oldest and you're quite a lady. You're my only blue-eyed girl and you turned 16 in April and you've sure made a change in my world. I'm sorry I missed the big evening, your first date, and I wasn't around. Save all the secret things you did and tell me when I get to town.
1: And it was a powerful, powerful song. It
2: really is. And if you ever see a a DVD or a a video recording of her show, she had a backdrop that would show pictures and things of all of us kids with her. And I know for mom, it was a very real um, time for her every time that she did that and very emotional. And because when she wrote this song, I mean, it was like what you said a minute ago. She had a, a realization that. Uh, even though she loved what she did and she felt like she was providing for us things that she never could do her life when she grew up, she also knew that she was missing out on 1st lost tooths and proms and cheerleading tryouts and all kind of things and you know, doctor's visits, just anything, simple things that you feel like most moms, you know, you're there for your children. And I think she felt very guilty about that but yet wanted us to know how much she missed out on that and that she did love us and wanted us to know how much.
0: I wish... I could have been there, but, as usual, I was gone. How did the song
1: affect you?
2: I remember when I was little, I saw it much differently than now that I'm a mother myself. I Sorry, mean, I th- that was going to be yes. my next question. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, when I when I was young, I think when I first heard it, you know, about my first tooth and about me sleeping on my grandma's arm and stuff cuz I was I thought, oh, "Great. There, everybody's are going to make fun of me now because I like to sleep, you know, I slept with my grandmother and sucked my thumb till I was probably 10." I really did. Mm-hmm. But I was a very insecure child. Um, so I kind of took it in a negative way at first, and then as I got older, I appreciated it. But certainly as a mom now, and especially because when my children were 16, I started doing more music, and so they were by no means, you know, toddlers, but still, I I would miss things, and I would be gone, and I completely understood and related what my mom must have been going through, you know, missing out on things and not being able to be with my kids all the time. Um, So it, it definitely hits home a lot more now.
1: Single mother, thy name is guilt. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. It's absolutely true. (laughs) Yes. Did did, did you get to know famous singers when when you were a little kid? Did people come over to the house?
2: There were many people who came in and out. I think probably the person that I remember, well, the couple of people that I remember the most um, as being so close to mom, uh, Jan Howard and uh, Loretta Lynn were were staples in our home. um, And... I loved being around them, um, both incredibly sweet people. And um, you know, Jan actually traveled with Mom for yes, you know did. a year or so, mm-hmm. and um, I think that meant a lot to Mom as much as it did to Jan, going through the hard time she was going through. But Loretta, since she and I, we still stay in, in touch and we talk every now and then, and we laugh and cut up about some of the crazy things Mom and her did. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's funny now that I can hear stories that I probably wouldn't have heard when I was you know younger, knowing her, but.
1: She also was famously, you know, her signature song Stand By Your Man, well she stood by several men
0: actually. Yes. (laughs) Stand by your man.
1: Several marriages in there. as each one came along, what was your response to that as a kid were you jealous that other that she was paying attention to someone else other than you or
2: well no I guess because I was so used to having to share mom already anyway from birth I mean when I was born she was married to her um third husband so at that you know I really only had two more to go through at that point one of which I hate to say Was only six weeks long, so it really probably didn't even. Michael Tomlin. Yes, Michael Tomlin probably really didn't even count almost. So um, honestly, for me, I think I was so used to sharing mom with with her fans and with the media and her time away because of her traveling that I I never really looked at any of them as, as taking anything away from me.
1: Did tour buses go by the house?
2: They did, and um, and I can remember many times, um, them coming up through the driveway, and um, eventually, I think Richie had put a sign up because some of the buses would bust the. the
1: George Richie was her final husband.
2: Yes, Richie was her final husband, and um, and I remember he got so angry at one of them one time he stopped them, and then he felt guilty that he fussed at them because of course the fans, it's not their fault. So he brought them in, try to like as a reward to try to like. Into the family. house, brought them into the house. Mom didn't know he was doing this, and so when she heard them coming in, she's in her robe and has like her headband, the whole thing, no makeup. So she's hiding from one room to the next, trying to make her way to the bedroom to get away from him, one room at a time, because she was afraid they'd see her. And she said eventually, she's literally in her closet in the bedroom, and she knew that he was going to still. Expo- he knew she knew that he was going to expose her, um, and she's like, I might as well just come out and get it over with, because you know it's all right; they'll get over it. And they were so excited that she, you know, took the time to come out and talk to them and spend, spend some time with them. But she used to laugh about it all the time. She's like, yeah, "There I was, in all my glory."
3: <laughs> what was a favorite song of hers growing up? Was there? You probably had many favorites, but was there one in particular that stuck out?
2: Of mine, of mom's, um, I think. I really didn't have a favorite until I got a bit older. Um, but in my teenage years and older, I think I always say it's the two tills. tilts—till I get it right, until I can make it on my own are probably my two favorites. She co-wrote one of those. Uh, till I can make it on I my I own. Till I can make it on my own, Yes, yeah. She co-wrote that with uh, George Ritchie. Yeah.
0: Can you give us a little flavor of it? <clears throat> Let's see. I'll need time to get you off my mind. And I may sometimes bother you Try to be in touch with you Even ask too much of you from time to time But till then Lord, you know I'm gonna need a friend But till then I'll lean on you That's all I mean to do Till I can make it on my own.
2: Love that.
1: So beautiful. It's a great lyric. It's one of the great country lyrics, I think.
2: It really is. I think it's because anyone who's old enough to be an adult and have ever been through a relationship that didn't work um, knows that feeling of wishing they could still hang on a little bit longer and just let me, you know, help me get through this time.
1: We have heard a George song and a Tammy song. I want to hear something that you're proud of that you wrote.
2: Of me. Oh, my. Uh, From any of the
1: records, I mean.
2: Okay. um, Let's see. um, I mean, I probably, maybe the song that I wrote for my mom would be good.
0: Okay. I remember sitting in your lap And you would hum in my ear I still feel your arms around me They were warm and erased all my fear I was your little baby girl. You said I took your breath away. But the love you gave so completely, I carry in my heart today.
2: That's
1: a that's a really powerful thing. Did she Thank sing you. to
2: you,
0: really? Oh, God,
2: all the time. Mom, would mom... Mom sang a lot at home. Um, in fact, we would sit around the piano sometimes. Mom would play piano, and um, she would have my, my sister Tina also sang, and she sang backup for Mom for a few years. So Tina and I would sing harmony with Mom, and we would just randomly do that. But at night sometimes when I was a little kid, I mean, I remember her, you know, like reading me a bedtime story or something, or she might sing me something, But you know, as I was going to sleep because I was, like I said, a very – insecure, nervous child. Um, we had a lot of things going on when I was younger. We had uh, death threats and kidnapping threats and our right. house was set on fire and our house was flooded and you know a lot of crazy things going on. So I was a very scared um, young girl. Um, my older sisters luckily had a little bit of their childhood before that happened. And so they were a little more um, capable of, I guess, dealing with that um, as teenagers. Georgia was the baby
3: of the family. And sure. so why were these threats
1: coming out? Well, we never really found out. Um, Tammy, just stuff happened to her. I mean, Horrible things, yeah. She, uh, I don't know, it was like a curse on her or something. Yes. It's like, bad stuff just happened to Tammy Wynette. It happened all the dang time.
2: Yeah, I mean, we went bowling as a family one night and came home and to find that someone had broken in. They had turned on every faucet, every sink, every bathtub, every shower in the entire house. So the house was flooded in, in a couple of inches of water everywhere in the entire house. On every window, TV, mirror, glass, anything that you could that was reflective, they had written uh, slut, pig, whore, just horrible things all over the entire house that had to be cleaned up and, and fixed. And only a few months later, I was asleep in her bedroom in the back and the house, and I don't even remember it. I guess I blocked it out. But that part of the house caught on fire, and the entire back portion of the house we had to close off until they could fix it. It was completely burned, um, burned away. So just a lot of crazy things.
1: You know, some people thought it was Don Chappell, who was the husband she left for George Jones, um, and was not happy about it. Um, right. And he had done, when they were married, he had done bad things, too. Right. And so, there was, but nothing was ever proven on anybody.
2: No. In fact, I mean, there's a lot of theories. Then They tried to accuse my dad. My dad, I know, never would have done any, he would have never put any of us in harm. And, um, and that was just, in my opinion, a re- even a ridiculous thought. But I can understand, they always want to check all those who may have been hurt or upset, but... Um, they even, you know, they questioned Richie at one time. Um, I will say this. And I didn't and trust
1: Richie as far as I could throw. Him no. And, you and, me.
2: and that's, and I, and I will say this cause you know, I, I feel like, you know, whatever happens happens, but I'm going to say how I feel and what I think, what my opinion is. I find, I don't believe in coincidences. I really don't. I'm not one of those who believes in that. So, um, all of these things that happened, all of that stuff leading up to mom was, was dating Richie at this time when a lot of this was going on. Um, terrible death threats to my grandparents and, you know, all of this stuff. Well, one day Richie basically just kind of, and you can see it on YouTube. It's mom and Richie both have told the story. It's, it's accurate where he just kind of casually says, Hey, you know, you know, why don't you and I get married? And, you know, I'll help you I'll help you bring back your career, and I'll protect you and your girls, and, you know, I'll be there for you, and I'll tour with you, and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, okay. I mean, that's really their proposal was not really a very romantic one. They had known each other for years. Yes, they'd known each other and mm-hmm. written together, and as, they'd been mm-hmm. friends for a long time before they started dating. And so they did get married, and you know what? The second they got married, all of that stopped. So my, I'm just saying. That's kind of eerie. Never anything else ever happened. So I'm just saying, you know, it seems to me as if, if if you're getting a lot of threats, and then suddenly the person who offers to protect you marries you, and then you don't have any problems to be protected by anymore. It just kind of
3: was he you know. was he pressuring her before, and then she wasn't acquiescing,
0: or
2: I, I think that he had. He wanted her to marry him even before she married Michael Tomlin. But she didn't realize at the time, or even when she was dating Burt Reynolds, she didn't realize he was trying to kind of hurt
3: That's so scary.
1: Her. Yeah. He
2: it was had a, wanted her that way.
1: It was not an easy childhood.
2: <laughs> no. Now, your relationship with
1: George Jones was a little bit more complicated. I mean, Tammy Wynette was always there for you.
2: Yes, absolutely. Always. He was not. No.
1: So take me through that coming together and pulling apart as it happened as you grew, did did you make you make the effort? Did he make the effort?
2: You know, in the beginning, I mean, most of my childhood, I think I reached out a lot. I mean, i really I wanted so desperately to have that relationship with my dad and and it wasn't until really being a parent myself now that i I do understand, um having talked to him, a lot of that was because he didn't want me to see him in the shape that he was in. I didn't know that and didn't understand that as a child, so it was hurtful um and so. There were times when I tried, um, as a teenager to connect or to go see him and to do things. And I I took it very hard that he didn't seem to be ready for that. And so we stopped talking probably for about a year and a half. I didn't have any contact really at all until my mom died. And when my mom died, I have to say it was him who made the first effort because I was so devastated when mom died. I really, I know people thought she was sick and we would have expected it, but honestly, it wasn't terminal. She had chronic illnesses, not not a terminal one. So, it was a big shock that at 55 she passed. And um, we were at mom's house, and um, Daddy and Nancy came in the front door, and I remember thinking, I don't know if I can really handle this right now. Um, I couldn't take any kind of rejection or you know, not having what I needed right then. And so I started to turn away actually to walk down the hallway and I, I do have to give Nancy credit for grabbing me by the elbow and saying, look, your daddy came here to see you, please. You need to go see your dad. So I did. I went to him and, and I pretty much, I think fell apart the second he put his arms around me and he it meant so much to me that he was there for me right then. I needed him then more than I had ever needed him in my life. And he, in fact, Richie didn't even go to the funeral home with us. My dad went with us to the funeral home to pick out, you know, casket and flowers and things that we had to do. I didn't and know that. he did. My okay. dad went with us to the funeral home with my sisters, and and um, you know, Richie stayed at home trying to coordinate. The funeral, um, you know, at, at the Ryman, so
1: which was very public.
2: It was very, very public. Well, and that's that's the way he wanted it. I mean, mm-hmm. he he really was. That was his final show to put on, so to so to speak. But um, you know, for us, it was an, a, a time that we really uh, were caught on, on you know, off our guard and didn't know what to do, and were devastated. And and my dad, if if you knew him at all, you knew that he hated funerals. He hated. He really, and. He hated to go to any of those kind of things. So I know that especially for him, that was a major thing for him to do, to come with us and to do all of those things just to be there. I mean, he wasn't making decisions, but he wanted to physically be there just so that I knew he was there for support, and that absolutely meant the world.
3: Could you also see, uh, get an inkling of how much he might have loved her as well?
2: Yes, because, I mean, the truth is, you um, you know, he said that when he found out um, that mom had passed. He he did not sleep for three days. I mean, he either sat on the foot of the bed, walked around the house, or he'd take a drive around the neighborhood and come back and sit down. And he just he couldn't he couldn't rest. So I, I know that was his way of telling me I loved her too. Like he didn't want to say those words out loud. He certainly didn't want to offend or disrespect Nancy. But he did want me to know that um, that he loved her too and that he was missing her too.
1: George Jones had a song called "If Drinking Don't Kill Me, Her Memory Will." And every night when he would sing it, at some point in the song, he would say, Tammy's memory will. Yes. He would definitely, you know, it was like, like, I'm still carrying this torch, people. Yes. You know.
2: And, you know, I I think, you know, obviously, like I said before, I mean, out of respect for Nancy, I know he tried to to play down any real emotion about my mom and him, their relationship, especially after they were both remarried. But my personal opinion, and I I think it's probably the opinion of many others, is I think he was the love of her life, and I think that she was the love of his life. I think that they really, my mom actually said that out loud to me at one point, and, and just said it was bad timing for us. We both loved each other, but because of the issues that we were both having, you know, it just unfortunately didn't work out.
0: If drinking I can't hold out much longer, the way that I feel.
2: So maybe in
1: another lifetime. So it really, her funeral was a real turning point.
2: It really was. Um, you know, the, If anything positive came out of something so horrible, it would have been the fact that my dad and I started to reconcile our relationship. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you sing any of his songs when you do your shows?
2: I do. I do, um, the race is on. I actually get a volunteer up for White Lightning to do the White Lightning part because mm-hmm. it's fun to get someone up to do that. Um, I do a uh, picture of me without you. Oh, I love that. Um, I do. Let's see. Talk about a song of loss. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I do choices because I, I always tell the story basically about choices, um, It was the song really that kind of spoke of my dad's life. It meant so much to him. That song, um, Billy Yates wrote it and actually brought it to my dad a couple of times. And I think my dad was hesitant because it was so true to his life story. It really was. It really was. And um, so when he finally decided to do that song, um, he had just finished recording it. So super excited about having recorded it. And um, he actually was trying to play it for my stepsister over the phone while he was driving his car, and he was only about a mile and a half away when he had his wreck.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, which was a bad one. It was a terrible wreck. In fact, he um, his, his heart stopped twice on the way to the hospital. He was on a ventilator for ten days. He, they really, it was touch and go there for a while. and We thought we might lose him. And when he came back, and he, he after all that was done, he told us that. Earlier that morning, he'd been walking around outside having his time there like he does outside. And he said he just started praying to God and said, You know what? He said, I have tried to quit drinking a million times, and I just can't do it, so you're going to have to do something. And that day he had the car wreck. Wow. And he said, so that song meant an awful lot to him um, for more than one reason. Do a little of it for us.
0: Okay. let see. I've had choices. Since the day that I was born, there were voices that told me right from wrong. If I had listened, no, I wouldn't be here today, living and dying with the choices I made. Living and dying with the choices I made.
1: It's so George Jones. It is so George Definitely. Jones.
0: <laughs> you, you
1: you did thank not initially pursue music. No. Why? Well Because uh, you can sing, thank you do you. write, I mean It seems like it should have been the natural thing to step into mom and dad's shoes. Was that part of it, that they were so famous you didn't think you could?
2: That was certainly part of it. I mean, I think, I don't know that anybody really can, I mean, there's a few people I know certainly can understand it, but having two parents um, that both were so legendary, both of them, Um, people, it's, it's your normal human nature to compare And I I don't, you just can't possibly compare to either of them, much less both of them and come out favorably. It's, it's difficult. So that was hard for me. And I, and I also, that, and the, the fact that I grew up in that lifestyle, knowing, that I wanted to have a family one day, and I didn't want to be gone all the time. I wanted to be at home with my children, and I wanted to see them grow up. And not that I resented my parents for what they did. I, I understood that, but I wanted something different, and I wanted to be there for my kids. Did
1: your father's alcoholism scare you away? Did you think, oh, oh this is what happens to you?
2: It did scare me to an extent because, um, I mean, I never really... In fact, I think I kind of did things in reverse. I mean, I think I... I. Um, I didn't. I was very much so family oriented. I didn't drink. I wasn't the party person. I didn't do any of those things. I was terrified, actually, of, of doing a lot of those things. Not to say I didn't drink at any time ever when I was in college or whatever, but um, I really did the mom thing and did all of that. And then when my children got older, and I started doing music, and I didn't realize, like you know, we were out and people. I kind of. I started seeing. Oh my gosh, you know, people start just giving you things and handing you drinks and buying you. You don't even know that it's happening until you you've had 15 drinks and you realize oh my god I haven't paid for one drink but people out of loving your music and wanting to meet you come up and hand you a drink and I didn't I I saw very quickly that 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 could be a problem and I didn't want that to happen to me and um, I kind of pulled back from music again for a little while and Mm -hmm. didn't really start after
1: the first record came out yes you were a nurse
2: Yes, You did right. have a
1: nursing career. And I was did it, first.
2: Was it rewarding? It really was. You know what? My mother was a nurse, so... Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I loved it. I really did. I, um, for 17 years, I was a registered nurse. I worked um, in the emergency room, intensive care. I worked in a medical surgical unit for a while, did some home health. I mean, I kind of did a little bit of everything. Um, I, I did have, um, you know, I went by my first name at the hospital because being in a small town and a small hospital... It didn't take long. If you've got the name Georgette Jones, I mean, it just kind of... Yeah, people put two and two oh, together hey, pretty fast. Right. Yeah, it doesn't take much. So my first name is Tamala So on my name tags, we'd have to put our name tags in all the patients' rooms. Mm-hmm. And so it would say Tamala Jones. And so I could get away with it most of the time under those circumstances. But every now and then, um, I had a, a, an elderly lady one time who um, started saying, hey, does that that girl, um, Georgette, does she work up here? And I was like, well, yes, ma'am. That's, that's, that's me. Oh my gosh. She just, I got all excited and started hugging me and telling me how much she loved my mom and dad's music. And, and, you know, I love that. I mean, I, I will never not be excited about people loving my parents. Um, but I will say, and be honest about it at the hospital when you're working and you're trying to get things done, I can't, you know, I couldn't have like, Twenty and thirty minute conversations with people throughout the day, but there were a lot of people who'd show up looking for me to hand me demo tapes. Can you give this to your dad? Can you give this? Really? To yes. <laughs> I'm
3: you on know. my deathbed.
2: Right. My tape. I know, and I'm thinking, you know, like I could have a bedpan in my hand walking down the hallway, and they'd still want to come up to me with their demo tape. But you know, it was okay.
1: <laughs> Brenda Lee told me a funny story. One time, she got in a car wreck on Music Row, and the guy that hit her car reached into his glove compartment and gave um, her a telephone. Are you kidding
2: <laughs> <That's so> good. <laughs>
1: It's like it doesn't matter um, where you are or what you are. If you're in Nashville, you're going to get pitched.
2: <laughs> I, I had a man come up once with his wife, both of them in their full cowboy getup. I mean, both of them cowboy hats, buckles, belts, the whole thing, and had their headshots. I mean, and I'm, they were they were easily in their sixties, um, but they had their headshots and they had their demo with them, and they brought me a basket of turnip greens and some fresh corn on the cob from their garden, and then gave me their demo tape. So what can you do? I mean, you know, we actually ended up. I, I called them a couple of times and, you know, thanking them for everything and talking to them. I'm, I'm so sorry. You know, I I did mail it. I did. I did my honest, I mailed it. I said, I can't tell you what's going to happen when I mail it. But, you know, so he would come and visit me about once a month and bring me more turnip greens and just come talk to me. And he actually ended up becoming a friend. So it was, you know, you never know what kind of experiences you're going to have with people. <laughs> That's so wild. Mm-hmm.
1: When you go out and do shows, is it, is it difficult to get your own music across sometimes? Because you are in this shadow. I mean, you know.
2: It is. It's its been, you know, really difficult, actually. I think now I've just made a new CD that I'm hoping I'm finally going to have a little bit more leeway with um, getting some shows that we specifically book as just, you know, this is my music. I will still do a couple of songs of mom and dad's, you know. Obviously, to honor them, but um, it's been difficult because when people see my name and they know who my parents are, they immediately say, "Hey, can you come? You know, sing some songs of your mom's, or can you come do a tribute show?" And I'm really happy that I can do that. I want to keep their memory and their music alive, but at the same time, it is it is a struggle to try to find me and be me and be able to you know pursue who I am musically.
1: Mm-hmm. What's the new record going to be called?
2: Skin. And I know that sounds a little bit crazy, but um, and I know they can't see me, but um, um I have a lot of tattoos and things that you know I, they know most people don't see on a regular basis. But um, and my dad, of course, was mortified about the tattoos. You know, he made he just would pick at it and think it was funny. And that was if he knew you knew he liked you if he picked on you, so I was okay with that. But
0: I see them looking at me. I wonder what do they see? Do they think they understand? Can they believe in the life I've planned
2: or are they just judging me now? It's the only one that I wrote that I wanted to do on this album. I wrote a lot of other songs, but this one um, is special to me, um, and this song basically explains who and, and where I am today. If you see me and my hair's not fixed, and maybe I don't have makeup, and maybe you see my tattoos and you want to judge me for what that looks like, um, you know, please don't do that. I still have the heart of Daddy's little girl. Like I'm still that that person too. I'm not, I'm not all these things that you would stereotype. So um, that's what the song is about.
1: Record number four. What have you learned so far?
2: Oh, I gotta see. I have learned um, being yourself is more important than worrying about what anybody else thinks of your music or how you sound. I know that sounds maybe a little harsh, but I, I, and of course I do want people to like it. This is who I am. Um, this is the music I love. This is who I want to be. Um, and I'm hoping that there'll be people who will relate to the things that I've written and the things that I've recorded and, and get it. I think it's probably more a nineties style kind of country. Um, it's a lot of upbeat stuff. There's maybe one or two, a little more contemporary songs, but for the most part, it's, it's, pretty 90s-style or traditional um, music.
1: Tell me about You and Me in Time, and that's a real key song in your repertoire, and it's a duet with your dad that Mm -hmm. you did. Tell me about the song and recording it with him and and all the background behind it. It's one of your best-known pieces, I think.
2: Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. I started writing this song um, years ago after my dad and I had really started getting closer after all of that that we went through, and it was kind of my way of expressing to him... I wanted to show him how I felt and how much it meant to me that no matter what had happened in the past, no matter what had gone on, that it really meant the world to me that we finally had had found our way to, together. So I, I didn't want to, um, you know... Mess it up in my head, so I'm sitting here thinking, Who can I talk to to help me out with this? And the late Don Fremmer um, was one of my heroes. I love and Don Fremmer, absolutely one of my favorite people, not just favorite writers, but he was an amazing man. And I would have trusted him with anything. So I, I mm-hmm. went to Don. Um, we were at the time working with a, a man named Mark McGuinn, mm-hmm. and um, so Mark um, and Don and I sat down and we, we wrote this song. And I was really excited but nervous about it to to share it with my dad. So um, Mark said, "Look, let me let me do the." We'll do it together as the duet, and like, and we'll just, you know, you can go play it for your dad. And it, it was just meant to give to him, not really anything else. I just wanted him to hear this is how I feel our relationship. So with. it was
1: written as a duet? It was mm-hmm. written as a
2: duet. Mm-hmm. Um, well, of
1: course, you and me in time. We right.
2: <laughs> but we, but we didn't, I didn't really expect to record it with my dad. I just thought this is, I wanted him to hear it as it were, he and I, that we were having this relationship and how happy I was that we were together. So, I went to go play it for him, and I remember being really nervous because, like I said, if you knew my dad at all, he, he was very honest. I mean, sometimes he could be brutally so. So, you know, not only is this something I'm presenting to my dad, but I'm presenting this to someone I respect as a writer and as an artist, so I, I was very nervous. I played it for him, and I remember him standing there and him listening, you know, very intently. And at the very end, he got this big smile on his face, and he just grabbed me and hugged me and kissed me on the forehead and told me he loved me, and at that absolutely meant everything to me in that moment and a minute or so later he's like you know he said um i'm doing i'm fixing to do a new record and he said i would love he said would you would we be able to record that together could i could we go do that and i was like well yeah (laughs) of course we can i mean that would be awesome
0: you were just a picture on my baby grand Yours was in my wallet I showed to all my friends
2: Originally, which is something a lot of people don't know, I was going to be doing the harmony on the chorus, so I had sang to him my part on the chorus. You know, He didn't like to over-listen things on the demo. He liked to kind of just hear it once or twice and then interpret it because it made it more real. So when we sang it and he sang his part, he was actually singing harmony to my harmony. I'd already recorded my part, Mm -hmm. and he went in so what was supposed to be harmony actually ended up mine was the melody then and he sang harmony to that so it was a di- totally different sound than we originally started with but it sounded amazing and he he did a great job but
3: he also kind of gave you the lead then
2: he know? did
1: such a nice thing he for did. a
3: dad to do
2: that well
1: it, it's but it's the way that tammy and george duets were structured pretty much tammy sang lead and then george would sing the harmony part but just as loud as the lead right so it sounded
2: <laughs> that's why right. they sounded so great together but it sounded incredible But you
0: and me and time Finally got together I'm sorry that it took
2: about a week later, went back to the studio to surprise me um, with that little I love you, darling, that he put on the very end Uh of the recording. So I, I didn't know that was there until I heard the final version. And, of course, I bawled and was a baby for a little while listening to that. But the funny story that goes along with that is when he went to Keith Stegall's to record it, the awning at his stairway there was broken, and he didn't know it. He was turning back, talking to Nancy, going up the stairs. And when he did, he didn't see it was broken. It hit him knocked him backwards. He fell and broke his wrist. And he had to have surgery. He couldn't play guitar for like six weeks because, you know, he had fallen there. But he was bound to He went in there and recorded it first before getting anything done. He was determined he was getting that on the record. So So, the record came before the emergency room? Yes. It (laughs) came before. He went and got that done. He's like, it's not going to take but a second. Let's just get it. So...
1: Hey, thank you so much. This was fun. Thank you. I appreciate it very much.
3: Before we let you go, we want to welcome you to The B-Side, the producer's notes edition. Since our interview, I caught up with Georgette to see how things were coming along. And she told me, if all goes well, the new album, Skin, should be ready for release in November. And if you like her stories about her mom and dad as much as we did, You'll love the movie coming out. That's right. They're going to do a movie about her parents, George and Tammy. I'm told the filming should begin early next year with Josh Brolin playing George Jones and the ever-talented Jessica Chastain as Tammy Wynette. So keep your eyes open for that film to come out sometime late next year. Who knows? With a gift like that, maybe around Christmas. Next week, we'll have Kathy Rich talking about her legendary father, the incomparable Buddy Rich, considered by most to be the greatest drummer ever, period. And if you like what you hear, become a subscriber. That's right, it's easy. Just click on those buttons to your right. Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, and Stitcher. Spread the Word. Children of Song, the podcast that combines live performances with great storytelling. Till next time, I'm Brad Newman. Thanks for listening.